at Mercy Vineyard Church. We say it together. Wherever you are with me, wherever you, if you're watching, even if you're just watching the rerun, right? If you're watching this a week later, say it with me. We are living a passionate mission to love, grow, and go for the greater glory of God. That's what we're all about as a church. We're loving Jesus. We're loving each other. We're growing, and we're going. We're serving each other. We're serving. So uh, this morning what we're doing is we're continuing our three-part series called Life Googled, where we're, uh, go- we're looking at the burning questions according to Google. I'm curious. The small team here, how many here have ever not just search something on Google, but actually type in a question in Google. Yes, okay. Yeah, so that's a thing. And so what we're doing is we're looking at Google searches and kind of like what are the, what are the burning questions on people's heart. Uh, we started off, we talked about what is love. Y'all remember that one? We talked about how love isn't about you. Love is not about how someone makes you feel. That's not what love is. That love was exemplified perfectly by a bloody, beaten Jesus on the cross who took the punishment for our sins. And then last week, Wendy talked about, can I ever be forgiven? That's actually a question that is asked a lot on Google. People want to know, can I ever be forgiven? And uh, so that was really powerful. Go back and watch it. That's great. You, you, don't, you don't have to just go back and listen, which you can go back and listen at findmercy.org, but you can go back and watch too. And so before we get started today, I wanted to read the top 10 why questions (laughs) that have been asked by Google so far in 2020. These are the questions that why. Remember how I said why is the most useless question? Uh, There's almost never a a satisfactory answer and we waste a lot of energy asking it. But number 10 why question is why do cats purr? Why do cats purr? Some people say it's because they're content, they're happy. Scientists don't know. Isn't that funny that scientists don't know why or how cats purr, but they can tell you with 100% certainty that we evolved from... Never mind. <laughs> I don't get it. They don't even know why a duck's quack doesn't echo. But they just know that Earth was not created. Anyway, so, that was free. That was not part of my message. So. Number nine question asked Google, which this is a question I've asked myself many times. Why am I so tired? People ask Google, why am I so tired? I don't know how they expect Google to know the answer to that, but I have wondered that about myself as well. Uh, Number eight, why do dogs eat grass? Why do dogs eat grass? Anybody know? To make themselves throw up, okay. So, really? So they feel nauseous, so they eat grass, so that it'll make them throw up. Which kind of goes on with number seven, most popular question asked on Google, why? Why is my poop green? Why is, is asked, I guess, quite often. Uh, and being the guy who has often had to clean the toilet here, I want to know why your poop is green too. Um, so, number six, why are you always lying? That's asked of Google. I I guess people want to know if Google is lying and why they're lying. Why are you always lying? Number five, why should we hire you? Number four, question, ask Google, why so serious? Um, Number three, why is the sky blue? 
<laughs> Number two question asked of Google, why are you so obsessed with me? I, I, don't, I guess I don't understand. Shouldn't that be a question that you ask a person, not Google? But why are you so obsessed with me? And the number one why question asked Google so far in 2020 is, why were cornflakes invented? Uh, I don't know. That's just crazy. I don't understand. Like, why would that be a burning question on people's minds? Why were cornflakes invented? So uh, the question that I want to talk to today, actually, the question I want to talk about today isn't even a why question. But the question I want to talk about today uh, has been asked over a half a million times, a half a million times so far this year. This question has been asked over 500,000 times. And that question is, who am I? Who am I? People are Google searching, who am I? I find that really interesting that we live in a world where people are, uh, that question is burning on them so deeply that they're going to Google and asking, who am I? Um, who am I is, is probably one of the most important questions a person can ask. And, and there's a reason for that. Because the answer to who am I settles our reason for existence. It settles our reason for being. Who am I? And the answer to who am I becomes our identity, right? And when we know who we really are, it brings a sense of peace. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been there before. I don't know if you've ever asked who am I or wondered why am I here or had those sort of uh, kind of burning deep questions in you. But, you know, the answer to that becomes our identity. And when we don't have an answer to who am I, we can live in a sense of, of dis-ease, a sense of anxiety, a sense of of maybe listlessness or purposelessness. And so it, it is a very important question that we, you know, ask, can ask and get the answer to. And so um, I remember there was a time in my life, and I've talked about this before, where it was, seemed like I was, uh, I was losing all of the things that I had used to form a picture of my identity. And so, you know, I don't know if this happens to everybody. I hope it does. Sometimes, isn't that funny? I hope sometimes bad things happen to you. Uh, not because I don't love you, but because sometimes when bad things happen to us, when we handle those bad things well, we experience exponential growth, right? There are things that we can grow and learn from bad experiences that are far more valuable than good experiences. And so it's funny because we all want to live, you know, just in good experiences. We don't want bad things to happen to us, right? But, you know, life on a bed of roses, as it were, doesn't cause us to grow. It doesn't cause us to dig any deeper. It doesn't cause us to ask these questions. And so, and we've all known people who kind of grew up with everything handed to them, and they tend to be very shallow people. And a lot of times, they tend to be people who don't see the needs of others, and so I think that when bad things happen, and, and, and in this case, uh, <laughs> when I had gone through a series of bad things in my life, um, it really caused me to dig deeper and ask these questions, who am I? But I remember I, I lost the job that I loved. There was a lot of my identity wrapped up in this job. 
and I lost this job that I loved, lost, and, and, and very shortly after, lost the house that I lived in, that I really loved living in, and uh, I, I, didn't, I, I no longer held any positions of influence or leadership and things like that. I, I went from having a, you know, a, a large audience, as it were, and influence and all those things to just nothing. And um, in that season, I, I, it forced me. I had to discover and I had to cling to who I really was. Because if we don't ask that question, who am I? If we don't, don't kind of push in and cling to who we really are, what happens is, is then we're in danger of doing stupid things to project an identity that we want other people to see. So when bad things happen, if we don't learn to cling to who we really are, what do we do? Then we'll do stupid things, right? We might, we might put down other people and start pointing out how other people aren't succeeding, start pointing out flaws in other people, right? Because we want to create a perception of ourselves, because we're not secure in who we really are. So we have to create an image. And if we create that image by putting other people down, or if we create that image by acting like something that we're not, right? So maybe, you know, you've gone through a, a, a real hard time, times of doubt, times of struggle, and, but we don't want people to see that, we're, that we struggle or that we doubt, and so we get really super spiritual, hyper-spirituality, right? So that we can put on this image that, hey, we're great. Or some people, what they do is when they're struggling and they're not feeling like they're measuring up to their own expectations and they're worried about their identity, is they might do things like name drop. Oh, you know, I hung out with these people, you know, or hey, you know, I did that, or I, I know this person, or whatever. And so we like to do things to create this front, to create this image, but really inside we're just struggling with identity. And so uh, those are things, we do these dumb things, I call them stupid things, we do these stupid things because we, we're not secure in our identity. Who am I is such an important question to be able to answer if we're going to just be secure and not do stupid things, right? And so I was in danger of doing stupid things, trying to project an identity that, that other people, I wanted other people to see. And so what I wanted to do this morning is just answer this question, who am I? You know, how, how do we know the answer to the question, who am I? Do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? And, uh, you know, do you find your identity in your talent? Right? Do you find your identity in your podcast, Dan? Or in your guitar playing, Ian? Or in your DJing, Ben? Or in, you know, where do we find our identity? Do you find your identity in your incredible beard and muscles, rippling muscles, Eric, you know, where do we, where do we find our identity, you know, and so it's so important that we find our identity where God says to find our identity, do you know who you really are, so we're going to talk about that, I can't wait till you're all here, so like, so I can pick you all out like that, so, right, I can't wait till Vince is back, I used to love to just call out Vince, uh, anyway, so let's go ahead and let's pray, God, we love you so much, and we praise you, God, because you hold the answer to who we are. And Lord, I pray that your word would come alive in us today. Your word would, would bring transformation. That it would take deep root. 
And so, Lord, we pray uh, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start off by taking a look at 1 John 3, 1 through 3, because it answers the question, (laughs) who we are. It says this, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. He calls us his children. That is what we are. Y'all following me? But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But what we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. I love the way Tozer puts it. I'm trying to see if I can remember exactly how he puts it. But he says something like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the man who knows who he is uh, sees himself as God sees him and he, he stops caring how the world sees him. That's total paraphrase of Tozer. But I love that. Because once you really see yourself as you are, you stop caring how everybody else sees you. And so if you remember one thing this morning, I want you to remember this. The answer to who am I is I am God's child. That's the answer to who am I. I am God's child. So if if I were to ask you or someone to ask you, who are you? The answer is... I am God's child. Yeah. Not only is I am God's child the answer to who am I, who I am God's child is the ultimate answer. It's the ultimate answer, right? There is no greater answer to that question, who am I, and there's no greater position in life than the role of God's child. There's no greater position. So I know that a lot of times, I can't speak for Uh, Women, but I know for men, men put a lot of stock and a lot of value in their position. Men put a lot of stock in being able to answer the question, hey, who are you? Or what do you do? Right? And so, in fact, a lot of guys, when they first meet each other, they ask each other, so where, where do you work? What do you do? Right? And so they find a lot of identity in that. But the ultimate answer, the ultimate position is that of the role of God's child. So, hey, congratulations. If you're following Jesus, you're God's child. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, You know, just look at the person next to you. Tell them, congratulations. Congratulations on the promotion. You're God's child, right? And so I hope that you're able to really somehow grasp a fraction of how awesome that is. I think a lot of us find that somewhat of a Sunday school answer, and we don't feel it, but I hope that you will grasp that today, that you will feel that today, and uh, that you will fully accept it. When you understand it, there is no other answer to who am I that remotely compares. When you understand this, when you grasp this, I am God's child, there's so much that you think matters now that doesn't really matter because you have gotten a hold of the fact that you're God's child. Okay? Because nothing else compares. And the other thing about that is nothing can take that away. 
It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how much money you make, because that doesn't determine whether you're God's child. Some people think that, oh, God blesses other people with more money than he blesses me with. That must mean that I'm not loved as much as God loves others. That's not true. Your father is a gazillionaire, right? You're his child. It doesn't matter where you live because he's building a mansion for you. He is building a mansion for you, okay? It doesn't matter where you came from because he walks with you into the future. God walks with you into the future, all right? He is an awesome father, and you are his child. God is an awesome father, and you are his child, okay? And so, how do we live as God's children? How do we live this out? How do we get that in our hearts, like from our minds and, in, and into our hearts? And, and what does a child of God even look like? And I want to talk about just a couple things of what a child of God looks like. The first is, a child knows that they're safe in their father's arms. There's a, there's a sense of safety in that. A child knows that they're safe in their father's arms. I remember when I was a young boy, and my dad would give me a hug, or, or put his arm around me, and of course, when you're like this big, your dad's arms feel like they might as well be the Hulk's arms, right? They just feel awesome and huge. And when I was a young boy, it felt like my dad's arms were completely impenetrable. There, there, there was a feeling that no matter what happened, if my dad was there, no harm could come to me, right? And so our Heavenly Father is like that. And a child knows that they're safe in their father's arms. I remember when Forrest went swimming for the first time. Do you remember that, babe? Oh, my goodness. Swimming for the first time. Oh, gosh. So we got in the water, and he was so afraid of the water, he was like an anaconda. He, he clung to me. Anaconda squeeze. Forrest, do you remember that? When you, oh, my, I, like, these little teeny arms, this big, you know, forest arms, were unbreakable. They were bound, bonded to me, like, I mean, just like a vice grip. He would not let go. And he was confident that I wasn't going to let the water take him. He knew that he, he clung to me, this liquid substance that suddenly, you know, he's afraid of because he's in a pool full of it, uh, that I, I wasn't going to let him drown. And you know what? He was right. I wasn't going to let him drown. Forrest, you chose the right guy to clung to. And so he knew that I had him. In Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, my place of safety. The psalmist knew the psalmist knew that he was safe in the Father's arms. And he wrote about it, and I just love the words that he used about being a rock and a fortress, right? And so a child knows that they're safe in their Father's arms. And the next thing is, a child is secure when they know they're accepted by their Father. A child is secure when they know... You get, I don't know about you guys, but one thing about my dad was, is if he got mad at me a lot of times... He, he, would, he would spend a couple days not being mad, at, or being, he'd spend a couple days being mad at me, you know, and, and Wendy talked about the cooling off period that she had with her dad, and uh, that, those days were so insecure for me. Those days of, of being like, 
you know, he doesn't, feeling like maybe he doesn't have my back or whatever, you know. When he, when I, when he was mad at me, they were so insecure for me. But God never does that. And when we're accepted by him, we're secure. There's something special and there's something amazing with secure people. Um, there's no need to try to impress other people when you're secure. When you're, when you're secure in the Father, there's not a need to impress other people. There's no need to fake or pretend. Uh, even if, even if, like, if, if the real you is strange, if the real you is quirky and awkward, that's okay. Uh, one of the things, it's Father's Day, so I'm kind of mentioning to my boys here, but one of the things I appreciate about my son Hudson is that uh, he'll be weird with me. Like, like if, if I do, like, something embarrassing, if I do, like, a dance or a silly song, uh, he doesn't get embarrassed. Like, you know how a lot, of, a lot of kids are like, oh, you know, my dad's acting silly, I'm embarrassed. No, do you want to know what Hudson does when I do something silly? He joins in. He joins in. If I'm, like, making up some silly song, all of a sudden he's, like, singing harmonies to it, you know, and, and he's just singing with me. And he's, he doesn't get embarrassed because he's secure. He's secure, and I love him, and it's okay if he acts silly. I don't, think, I, I don't find that embarrassing. And so insecure people can't do that. You notice that. If you get in a room, if you get like 10 people in a room and everybody's acting silly, the insecure people are kind of rolling their eyes, or they're like, you know, they just, they won't engage, they won't, you know, kind of jump in. Those are usually the insecure people. And so insecure people, they have to prove that they're not who they fear others think they are. That's the funny thing about insecurity is we don't even really know what other people think of us because we're not mind readers. But we're afraid of what other people might think of us, and so we act in a way so that we don't confirm a fear that we're, we're, we're not even sure is even there, like, so that we don't confirm what other people think of us, right? And so, does that make sense? Did I just give some sort of weird circular logic? Yeah. So, okay, most of the time, other people aren't even thinking of us. So, like, we're always so worried about what other people are thinking about us. Do you know what other people are thinking about us? They're not. They're thinking about them, right? <laughs> They're not thinking about us. They're thinking about them. And uh, it's, you know, and so people are so, are so worried about it. Um, but most of the time, people aren't thinking about you. And you know what? When you're secure, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? And when you're accepted by the Father, it gives you such a sense of security. And so God loves us. He accepts us. He made us. And did you know what? He even baked in some of that weirdness you have. When he made you, he even baked in. I remember one time having a conversation with the Lord. Because if you get to know me, you know I'm pretty weird. I got weird things. I got weirdness. All just sorts of weirdness. And uh, it's just that when I'm around other people, I try to keep the weirdness under control uh, until I get to camp and I get real tired. And then some of the weirdness comes out. But I remember I was sitting there going, God, God, I, I, what's the deal with me? And, and, and I really felt like the Lord going, what? I put that in you. I made you that way. You know, 
Why, why does the pot say to the potter? Can the pot say to the potter, why did you make me this way? And so a lot of you who are your weirdness, embarrassed by your quirkiness, don't be. God made you that way, right? And so uh, God loves us. He accepts us. He made us. And so security is one of the most powerful blessings that we can receive as God's children. Security is one of the most powerful blessings. I'll never forget when I mentioned earlier how I lost that job. And um, I, I remember getting to a place in prayer and just saying, God, what do I do? And, and I, I wanted to, you know, I'll just be honest with you. Like, I, you know, I wanted to be like on a stage again. I wanted to be like leading crowds again. I wanted to do these things. And through this process of learning to be secure in him and safe in him, you know what, I finally got to the point where I went, you know, it doesn't matter whether I play my guitar or set up chairs. Either way, I'm his son. Either way, I'm just as secure. It doesn't matter whether I'm preaching or I'm cleaning a green turd out of the toilet. It doesn't matter because I'm his son and I'm just as loved and I'm secure. And so I think that those things, it's important that we get to that point. And so uh, third thing is this. A child grows as they increase closeness with their father. A child grows, right? One of my favorite things to do with Cole is uh, he likes to go over to Culver's. That's like, is that your favorite restaurant? Yeah, I knew it. He likes to go to Culver's. And, uh, and I like to take him there and... Uh, and just sit and forever for the half hour that we're there, just chat, just talk, just talk. And he tells me about his 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 side hustle that he started. He started the side hustle where he's selling vintage Christian metal music from uh, from the website. I don't even know, man. But he's got his own record label now, and uh, and so he's got this thing. He talks about the games, the aspirations. I love to hear what's going on in his life. And so that, that closeness, we have closeness. I remember when I, was, when I was old enough to start having actual conversations with my dad, right? When I, when I got past the point where my dad was about what he was going to get for my birthday or where he was going to take me or if we were going to go for ice cream, right? And, and got to the point where my dad it was more like, hey, let's talk. Let's just sit and talk. Shoot the breeze, Right? And so uh, I remember getting old enough to have those conversations and just learning a lot. I learned about the trades. I learned about nature. I learned about hard work. I learned about acquiring new skills. Um, you know, I learned about all sorts of illegal things that he did, and it scared me. And, uh, but I learned, right? And, and the other thing is, is my dad became a lot less of a mystery to me. So many of us, aren't our dads just like total mysteries to us? We only know this sort of one weird side to it. Um, and I remember even after my dad passed away, uh, my aunts and uncles telling stories and going, wow, I had no idea. I had no idea about, you know, my dad was a lot of a mystery. And, uh, but as you get talk and you have that, those conversations, you know, dads become less of a mystery and more of a friend. And I believe that God is like that too. You know, we don't get God a lot, uh, you know, a lot. And, and, and it's about God, we talk about God, we, we, we sometimes even talk with great authority about God, but we really don't uh, know. 
And, <laughs> and so, uh, but when we get to know God, when we grow in intimacy with God, when we grow in friendship, in closeness with God, we, it, it pulls back some of the mystery. And God becomes more of a friend. And so in John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. And so friendship or closeness with God, what happens when we, when we grow in that closeness with God? We grow in wisdom. Uh, it grows us in a sense of safety. It grows us in a sense of security. And it grows us in a sense of identity. These things grow as we grow in closeness, in intimacy with God. And how does that happen? It happens through prayer. It happens through worship. It happens through being in His Word. And so uh, those, are the, those are awesome, okay? And then the last thing is this. A child wants to be like their father. A child likes to, wants to be like their father. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about this is this is something that's just built into us. A child wants to be like their father, um, and, and we even see this in our, uh, our Royal Family Kids Camp. Even bad fathers, children will want to be like. As God has somehow wired us with our fathers to, be, to want to be like them. And, and I remember, I mean, just even into adulthood, I wanted to be like my dad. And there were things in him that just, you know, uh, weren't real healthy. And, and, I, and I still, I wanted to be like my dad. And so a child wants to be like their father. Verses 2 and 3 of 1 John 3 tells us that we keep ourselves pure as we grow in expectation to be more like him. So one of the ways that we grow to be like him is walking in purity. And as we aspire to be like our heavenly father, and, and when we walk in purity and holiness, it takes all these other things that I was talking about, right? The, the feeling of safety, the feeling of security, um, the, the feeling of identity and closeness. And as we walk in holiness and purity, it actually takes those things and it magnifies those things. That's so cool, right? This, this, this closeness and this security, as we walk in purity with him, it magnifies those things. And so we feel closer, we feel more secure. Not because we've earned these things, but because we don't have the baggage of sin weighing us down. When we're, when we're carrying, you know, we, we tend to a lot of times uh, see sin. And remember we talked about this before, how sin is false freedom. We tend to look at sin and go, oh, that's freedom. I'm free to do that. I'm free to do that. But you know what? 100% of the time, any sin that you play with, any sin that you toy with, is eventually going to make a toy out of you. And so it's so important that we learn to walk in holiness and purity. Carry the baggage, that baggage of sin that keeps us from that sense of identity, that keeps us from that sense of closeness, that keeps us from that sense of security. And so sin just brings with it a whole uh, arsenal of things aimed at destroying our sense of security and safety and closeness with God. It's not freedom. It's false freedom. And so every child... Walking in the love of the Father wants to be more like Him. And so this morning, what I want to do as we close, um, I want to just pray for everyone struggling with this question, right? And maybe when you think of the question, who am I? The answer that comes to your mind is, 
right? Or you think, who am I? Screw up, right? Because, listen, if we don't attach ourselves to the identity God has for us, the devil has an identity for us that he wants to put on us. And so if we're going to, uh, if we're going to not take on the devil, the enemy's identity for us, we have got to press into God's identity, what he has for us. And so what I want you to begin to tell yourself is, I'm God's child, right? There was a time in my life where I had to stop telling myself, I'm a minister, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a fill-in-the-blank, right? And I had to just start going, I'm God's child. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm his son. I'm his son. I'm the king's kid, right? And so are you. And so I want to pray this morning. And so I don't know where you are or what your circumstance is or how you're engaging with us this morning. But if you're struggling with that question, I just want to pray for you, okay? And so if you're, if you're at home, uh, just close your eyes, okay? If you're watching, if you're holding up your phone, just set down your phone for a second or your, whatever. Just close your eyes. Let me pray for you. I want you just, just to hold out your hands. And so, um, and we'll just do that here and now, okay? So let's pray. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I praise you that you have made us your sons and daughters. That you, you have adopted us. Lord, we are not what we do and we're not what we've done. We are who you say we are and that is your children. And God, I pray for every person struggling with that question of who am I? Struggling with that, those questions of purpose for existence and identity, God. And I pray that today that you would settle it in their minds, you would settle it in their hearts, that they are your children and they are deeply, profoundly loved by you. So just, you know what, wherever you are, however you're listening or watching today, I just want you just to begin to repeat that. I'm his son. Or I'm his daughter. Just begin to say that out loud to yourself. Remind yourself. And remind the enemy of who you are. I'm his son. I'm his child. And I'm being made more and more into his image every day. And I don't need any sort of financial or social status to feel good about myself because I'm the king's kid. And my past does not determine my future because I'm the king's kid. I've been redeemed. And so, God, I pray that that would be our identity, that the answer to who am I is I'm a child of God. I'm his child. He's got his arm around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.